Hi there, Alana Terry here. Welcome to season four of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. We're going to be playing chapters from Blessing on the Run, which is a Christian suspense novel by me, Alana Terry. And before we get started, I wanted to welcome and thank our new patrons. We had three new donors join us this week on patreon.com slash Alana Terry. So welcome to Sue and Sheila and Jeannie. Your support means so much to me. And just as a reminder, when you sign up at patreon.com slash Alana Terry, all the money that you raise goes to Liberty in North Korea's Underground Railroad, and you can get free ebooks and audiobooks from me there. Speaking of free books, this month you can get Blessing on the Run for free as an audiobook. If you want to listen to the entire thing at once, you can go to alanaterry.com slash blessing to get the entire audiobook download. And one more quick note before we dive into chapter one today is that Blessing on the Run deals with some heavier topics. Blessing is a single mom who in her past has dealt with drug addiction and life on the streets and basically did what she thought she had to do in order to get by, which is never talked about in any explicit kind of detail, but I did want to let you know that this is a heavy subject that we're dealing with here in terms of blessings past, living on the streets. There is some abuse that she endured as a young teen. I just wanted to give that warning just for the themes. Again, no explicit situations or language involved. So with that out of the way, welcome once more. And here is chapter one of Blessing on the Run. You are listening to Blessing on the Run. Written by Alana Terry. Narrated by Becky Dowdy. Chapter One You'd think they'd call it morning sickness because it makes you sick in the morning, wouldn't you? Oh well, mysteries of life, all that junk. We're late to my parents, which is no real surprise. I just hate to disappoint them. Again. Here's Blessing, twenty minutes late. I can hear it now. I turn around in my seat, make sure Tyson's presentable. Baby, don't you know your pants got holes in them? He doesn't look up from his iPad. And you better not plan to stare at that screen all night. We're going to Grandma and Grandpa's to talk to folks and have a good time. You got that? He gives me a grunt in response, which is about all I can expect of him these days. Kid's in preschool, and he's already going through mood swings. Damien in the driver's seat's getting ready to make a scene, but I touch his arm and whisper, It's okay. The last thing Tyson needs is for my boyfriend to blow up all over him. It's Christmas Eve. Time for love and harmony and family together. All that stuff and nonsense, as Dad would say. Man, I can't believe how bloated I feel. There's no way I can hide the pregnancy from my parents much longer. I just hate to think of the disappointment on their faces. Again. You'd think by now pregnancy would be a breeze, wouldn't you? Carrying your boyfriend's child in your thirties, when you both have jobs and a home to live in's got to be easier than being a little twelve-year-old ward of the state too scared to tell your foster parents that your uncle got you knocked up, right? And there have been two other pregnancies between then and now. 
so it's not like I'm new at this. But I'm still terrified of telling my parents. Maybe some things never change. Mom and Dad will have to learn the truth eventually. Damien can't figure out why it's such a big secret, but he doesn't understand my parents. I mean, he's with them enough. They invite us over for Sunday lunch or big holiday meals like this all the time. But that doesn't mean Damien really knows them. Dad's as conservative as they get. Seriously, with that James Earl Jones voice he's got, plus how right-winged he is and all into his evangelical Christian preaching, you'd think he'd be hosting one of those conservative AM radio talk shows instead of just listening to them like some sort of news addict. He's a pastor on top of that, so you can imagine how fun my life was when I moved in with him and Sandy as a preteen who was too scared to mention the fact I was pregnant. Didn't get adopted until a few years later, but that had more to do with the state paperwork than anything else. They've always been mom and dad from as long as I can remember, even if I didn't call them that right away. It's strange that I think about the past so much these days, as if I didn't have problems of my own, and I'm not talking about the fact that my dad's the pastor of one of the largest churches in the Cambridge area, and I'm pregnant with my on-again, off-again boyfriend's baby, and my folks don't even have a clue. I've been nervous ever since I found out about this baby. But right now, I've got bigger things to worry about. I've got all the regular stress of the holidays and all those obligations to buy gifts with money that doesn't exist. I've got a son who's about to get expelled from preschool if he keeps getting into fights. And I've got a psychotic ex-boyfriend-slash-former pimp making death threats against me and my kid and my extended family. Merry Christmas, right? Most wonderful time of the year. Chapter 2 My parents' house is decked out like normal. Tyson's been telling me about all the baking he and Mom have been doing on those days she watches him while I'm at work, but you never fully appreciate just how much that woman cooks until you walk into her dining room and see the spread. Seriously, I think there are small countries in Africa you could feed with all this surplus. Mom wraps her arms around me the second I step through the front door, and I feel myself stiffen. That woman's so intuitive, I'm almost surprised when she lets me go, without asking when the babies do. She'll be excited for another grandchild. That's just the way she is. It's Dad I'm concerned about. I know the news is going to take him completely by surprise. In his mind, I'm the same little twelve-year-old girl he and Mom took in so many years ago, this pure little innocent thing. As if I was pure and innocent at that point, me and my seven-month-old fetus. Dad shouldn't be surprised I'm knocked up again. Actually, given my history, the real shocking news is that I'm not even more messed up. Not that my life's been peaches and cream, especially since Jared got out of prison. I didn't even know he was free until he just showed up. I was closing up the bank a couple weeks ago, hurrying out so I could pick up Tyson from Damien's mom's place and give him an earful for the way he talked back to his teacher earlier that day. 
I swear the boy could do fine in preschool, except the teacher and workers have it out for him. I defend him to their faces, which is the only reason he hasn't been expelled yet. But when it's just the two of us, you better believe he knows how ticked off I am. What's with a kid who can't make it through two hours of preschool without getting into a fight with one of his classmates? Seriously? I ask him that all the time. Honey, why you gotta go making trouble when you know it just makes your teachers mad? And he shrugs and says, I don't know, and makes me wonder if he even realizes that he's doing it. Half the time I swear he's totally clueless. He could have started kindergarten last fall, but Mom said he wasn't ready. And I suppose if he's giving his preschool workers that much of a hassle, maybe it's true. But still... Too smart for his own good. That's what he is. Problem is, I don't even remember being that age, so of course I have nothing to compare it to. Far as I know, I was even worse than he is. But there's no way to go back in time and prove that. Only forward. That's what I keep telling myself. Keep moving forward. Which is why it was so hard when Jared showed up like a shadow from the past. He startled me. He's always loved to startle me, sneak up behind me, grab me by the ribs, and laugh in my face when he made me scream like a little girl. Which is exactly what I was when we met. So young. Young and laughing and screaming whenever I got tickled by my step-cousin's teenage uncle. Well, he did it again just a few weeks ago. Startled me the night I was closing the bank. He's lucky. Some women carry pepper spray or stun guns or things like that. He could have gotten himself hurt. I turned around, ready to deck whoever attacked me. Then I saw him standing there, laughing, head thrown back, just going at it like he was watching the funniest movie in the world. So I laughed, too. Stupid of me. Probably just encouraged him. Some habits are hard to break. What are you doing here? I asked. And he said, I'll just looking for my girl. I should have called the cops, called the cops or called my boyfriend, something, anything but stand there smiling like an idiot. It's like my body's still reacting to memories that are a decade and a half old by this point. Memories that make me think we used to have this perfect storybook romance between us. Man, I hate how stupid I can be. How long's it been? he asked, and like the idiot I am, I knew exactly how much time had passed, right down to the month. I didn't think you were getting out until fall, I told him. And he smiled, probably happy to discover I'd been keeping track, eagerly counting down the days. As if. Got off for good behavior. You know how it is. And I nodded. Yes, I do know how it is, thanks to Jared and those things I did for him so many years ago. How's your son? he asked. And that's the first time I remember feeling scared. I'm such a fool. Why didn't I call 911 the minute he showed up? It's not like he was physically preventing me. The desk phone was right there. It would have been easy. If I'd been desperate, I could have even hit that little red panic button behind the counter. But I stood there trying to change the subject, trying to get him to forget about my boy. 
What you worrying about him for? I finally asked. And Jared grinned like he had something planned, and I remember feeling nauseated, but it was completely different than morning sickness. Even then, I could have called the police, although my restraining order was several years old. It might have expired, but I wasn't sure. Either way, I should have called them, at the very least demanded to know why they released a felon like him without giving me some kind of warning. But instead, I stood there smiling, hoping to distract him so he'd stop thinking about my boy. Mom's leading me into the living room, snapping me out of these memories. She's introducing me to some new charity case she's taken into her home. I do my best to act polite, but in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking about Jared, the man who called himself my uncle, because I was step-related to his niece, the man who stole so much more than my childhood. Maybe you'd expect me to be dreaming about all the ways I'd kill him if I got the chance, or wishing some other slow and painful death on him, which I'm sure he deserves. But no, I'm thinking about that first night he told me he loved me, about the get-rich-quick scheme he came up with, promising me a home in Hawaii, telling me he'd marry me as soon as I hit eighteen. Then, recalling the cold, menacing tone in his voice, when he threatened to kill me and everyone I love. Alana Terry here. I hope you enjoyed today's installment of Blessing on the Run. Please don't forget that you can listen to the entire audiobook of Blessing on the Run when you purchase it from Audible or wherever it is that you like to listen to digital audiobooks, or you can go to alanaterry.com blessing to download your free copy. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.